0: The Fallon Forum coming to you from the heart of America's heartland and bringing you progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're broadcasting from snowy Des Moines, Iowa, also known as the Cultural and Culinary Crossroads of America. Hey, before I give you the rundown on today's lineup, let's take a minute to thank a couple of our local business partners. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, a locally owned full service grocery store in the heart of Des Moines. Gateway's Cafe is open seven days a week for lunch and supper and for breakfast on the weekends. Dine and takeout service available. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic where Dr. Kim Holding has been creating, uh, sorry, caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or just give Dr. Holding a call at 515-232-8766. All right, later in the program, um, I'm going to be responding to some of those who have been critical of the 52 Conversations with Iowa Trump Voter Initiative. We'll also be hearing from Miriam uh, Miriam Koshia with 100 Grannies for a Livable Future. We'll be talking about the hog confinement issue and some of the problems that are being addressed. We'll also talk about the Dakota Access Pipeline and how Attorney General Miller, well, came down on the wrong side of that one. And then finally, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farms is going to join us. We're going to talk about edible trees and shrubs. But first, I'd like to welcome to the program, Nick Revsland. Hello, Nick. How you doing?
1: I'm doing fantastic.
0: Nick is a National Guard recruiter. He's uh, stationed at Drake University. I'm glad you could take the time to join us, Nick. Thank you very much. Hey, so first of all, what are your news sources?
1: Um, news sources, I look to uh, keep it as, as, as buried as possible. I like to listen to both sides. So I'll look at... Uh, Washington Post. I'll look at posts from, uh, MSNBC and as well as those sources that I think best describe or be- that I, that I find myself agreeing with the most would be, uh, Ben Shapiro's program. Um, I'll also, uh, find myself agreeing a lot with Tucker Carlson, but I think it's important to find those sources, uh, that you disagree with and listen to them, uh, with a critical but also open mind.
0: And how about folks like uh, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, the kind of most vocal talking heads on the right?
1: Um, I don't really, I, I think that there's, I, I find them a little bit even too partisan, not really, uh, and, and more just uh, mouthpieces. Um, I have that same problem with um, many of the, the mainstream media being a essentially a, pr- a propaganda or um, biased kind of sources. And I, I, I try to make sure that those sources are ones that acknowledge their own bias and try to have their own ideas. Yeah.
0: And certainly we do get situations where there's uh, one set of facts here, another set of facts there. Hey, so tell us about your voting history.
1: Uh, voting history, I, when I first started out and I was uh, um, young, I, I, my first election I voted for uh, Bill Clinton in his second term. Um, and then from there on I was, I, I've consistently uh, voted uh, Republican, um, but have always, throughout my voting career, have always hoped for uh, Democratic candidates that would that would uh, give me pause in the in the voting booth rather than uh, rather than just be um, a straight ticket. But
0: that didn't happen in 2016. You voted for Donald Trump. Uh, um, yes. Tell t- tell us why you voted for Trump in 16.
1: I, I did not think that um, Trump was going to be the. Uh, type of conservative president that I was looking for I, I'd actually pro- uh, um, caucus for Ted Cruz. Um, I thought he was more of a constitutionalist and um, was actually s- pleasantly surprised with the policy measures that uh, Trump enacted during his four years. and
0: compliments to that you voted again for him in 2020
1: uh, yeah uh, it was uh, if you order something from the menu and you're not really sure what it's going to be it and you like it uh, when you come back you, you reorder the same thing.
0: I like, any any food metaphor works for me. Thank you. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I was... So, what what did you what did you like about Trump's term as president?
1: Um, well, I was uh, again being a, a member of the military. There's there's obvious ramifications for uh, for foreign policy when it comes to whoever your commander in chief is. Um, I felt uh, very respected as a military member um, to include a, a interest in In not involving uh, the U.S. in in being tied up in any more uh, conflicts, trying to actually address uh, the threats that America does face um, around the world. Uh, Just that there are—I know very well that there are individuals who would, um, knowing nothing else about me except for knowing that I have an American flag um, on my shoulder in a uniform, would want to kill me. They'd want to kill you. Uh, They'd want to kill anyone that has uh, progressive and uh, values that we hold to be self-evident here in this country.
0: Okay. Um, And I do want to talk to you more about the national security angle since that's that's your profession. But let me ask you one more question relevant to the election. Were there any Democrats running for president in 2020 who you could have supported if they'd received the nomination?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I took a good look at, at Tulsi Gabbard and um, even um, Andrew Yang.
0: I know these days, of course, military service is entirely optional. Uh, back when I was a kid, um, I, actually I just barely missed the, I literally missed the draft period by one day. Um, <laughs> but uh, there were a bunch of rich kids who were able to, you know, get out of Vietnam. Uh, and Donald Trump um, was able to dodge the draft five times. Does that settle bad with you at all? Is that is that something you can overlook?
1: I mean that is yeah
0: concerning. Yeah, and 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 uh, I mean, different people have different opinions about the fact that Donald Trump is a very wealthy person. Does that does that, uh, is, that a, is that an issue for you and your decisions to vote?
1: Um, what what I have an issue with are politicians that become millionaires, um, and not millionaires that become
0: politicians. <laughs> would you vote for Trump again if he ran in twenty twenty four?
1: I would rather. There be a, a new candidate um, only because of the of the drama and the and the circus. Um, I, I would r- much rather there be a uh, presidential candidate who runs on the platform of make politics boring again
0: <laughs> Well let, let me ask you this: uh, many Republicans believe that the 2020 presidential election was stolen. What's your take on that?
1: Um, there were many things that I had. Uh, that I had, um, issues with. I I do not think that, that if, that if all of those issues were addressed, that it would be, um, that it would change the results of the election. But I think one thing that is, that is incredibly important is that, uh, in a, in a democratic constitutional, uh, government that, that people have faith in the institution of voting and that we address those concerns that are, mm. that are valid.
0: So what's your take on the, uh, riot at the U S Capitol on January 6th?
1: My take on the, on the riot is, uh, is when you get, I, I, for one, do not think that, uh, that Donald Trump incited the violence, but he did, uh, turn up the heat, um, the same way that I, I would not blame, um, Bernie Sanders for, uh, the individual that, that tried to uh, gun down, what was it, Scalise, and saying this is for health care.
0: What about the guy carrying the Confederate flag in the U.S. Capitol? I would have punched him in the face. <laughs> well, that was a short and direct answer. So um, yeah. Yeah, give me, give me your, um, your, your assessment of Donald Trump on issues of defense and national security. That's very close to your daily life. What, 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 do you, how do you, how, what kind of rating do you give him?
1: Um, On his Twitter, a a two, um, <laughs> uh, with his actual with his actual pen in the Oval Office, at the desk, uh, a nine.
0: So you like what he did, but not what he said. Yeah. Okay. And what did he do? I think,
1: the- that's, the, I think that's the position of of most rational uh, uh, Trump voters was I like what he's doing, but I, I wish that he'd forget his Twitter password. <laughs>
0: Well, apparently, Twitter has taken care of that problem for him. Let me, uh, let me ask you, Nick, about the other national security threat, uh, climate change. Um, I, w- I want to quote for, uh, quote to you uh, General Thomas Waldhauser. He said this back in 2019 to the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee. He said, uh, quote, changing weather patterns, rising temperatures, and dramatic shifts in rainfall contribute to drought, famine, migration, and resource competition. He was referencing Africa specifically. Uh, basically, the general was saying that, from a national security perspective, climate change is a serious problem. Would you would you agree with him?
1: Um, I do believe that uh, climate change is is, a, is an issue that 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 merits response. Obviously, we're going to have uh, different ways of of looking at uh, addressing those issues. Um, the skeptical part of me. Um, Looks at uh, at any politician, whether they're a, a military politician or whether they're uh, a, a civil servant in in Congress or or the presidency or a governor, uh, they are going to make those arguments that help them increase their budget. Um, so whether they whether they and, and those will be still credible. I mean, whether that's uh, I need more of a budget to combat. Uh, global terrorism or I need a, a larger budget in order to combat climate change. Most of those issues that um, I've looked at and examined for um national security threats will be um additional uh additional resources for um what like you know rising rising sea levels and we have these assets that are that are uh, near the uh near the coastline that, that may need to that may need to shift. Hmm. or it will be additional protection for um, hurricanes, or it will be additional uh, measures to be taken for um, for minimizing the risk of flooding or, or wildfires.
0: So, specifically, here's one example. President Biden just uh, passed via executive order. He canceled the uh, Keystone XL pipeline. Good move, bad move?
1: Um, I, I believe a bad move. Why? Why do I believe that?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I. I Know that uh, many of our, our foreign adversaries um, are actually supplied by they're they're financially supplied by the revenues of of oil um, and so the more reliance that we have on foreign oil uh, the more that we have uh, that that we are um, are vulnerable from a national security standpoint. I think it was uh, absolutely incredible that um, in in four years. Donald Trump was able to make the United States energy independent um, or a net zero.
0: Well, uh, and, o- Obama took credit for making it energy independent. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't a statement I supported. I mean, do you see that as a goal that we should pursue and have any chance of obtaining?
1: I think that we do, and the way that it's going to be done is is through innovation and and through um, our next generation. Um, and them inheriting the uh, that problem, but but it's one that the the problem that we've created is a problem of prosperity, and I think that the solution to any problem of prosperity is going to be solved by more prosperity.
0: Okay, so you you would like to see us move beyond fossil fuels? But yeah, it- I
1: mean it's a it's a, it's a it's a limited it's a limited resource, and uh, and it does um, create pathological problems for. Um, the population of me. I would not want to live in Los Angeles based on on what I see of, of air quality. Right. Uh, but I will tell you that um, what I'm not willing to do is to have air quality like we had in Kabul, Afghanistan, where I think it was 30 to 40 percent of the dust in the air was fecal matter. Oh, um, wow. Which raises questions of, you see a sandstorm coming at you, and you're in Kabul. It might not be a sandstorm.
0: Yeah. So, how do you feel? Just another example. How do you feel about General Motors making a commitment to get to 100% zero emissions vehicles by 2035?
1: Um, I think that they uh, played a bait, uh, played a, a solid bet based on um, who won the election and realized that the market's going to be shifting, and so they want to um, be the first ones. Um, out that door and, and, uh, and be able to dominate that market. Hmm. That's what businesses do is they, um, they look out for their shareholders and they, uh, try to go for a, um, a route that's going to, um, make them, make them successful in, in the, uh, in the marketplace and, and understand how the marketplace is working and it's our job to make sure that we have, um, uh, individuals in our government that are, are looking out for prosperity, and then through that, manipulating those that are are uh, are interested in profit.
0: Well, one last question for you, Nick. Uh, with with all that's um, tearing us apart uh, within the U. S. Uh, and the and ex- existential threats like climate change, nuclear war, that sort of thing hanging over our heads, does here's the tough question: Does the U. S. have a chance? Do we have a fighting chance to? To take our country back to a level of stability, I mean, can we pull through this confluence of crises?
1: Um, well, we have to, um, and because of that, we uh, we will. The um, it will. The, the hard part is, and this is what is is difficult. Is that is that um, change often requires pain, um, and so difficult change requires pain. Um, and so there will be a, a painful period, but it will be a period of, of, uh,
0: of growth. Folks have been talking with Nick Revsland. He's a National Guard recruiter at Drake University. Uh, Nick, if folks want to get in touch with you, uh, where do they go? What do they do?
1: Well, uh, first I want to make sure that everyone understands the. Uh, it is vitally important that the military be um, balanced in its political views, and so we want people that have, you know, that. To be uh it would be a it would be a i would be absolutely devastated to have a military that all think like that thought like i did and believed the way i did (laughs) so um yeah if if anyone is interested in in military service to be able to preserve this country and to be uh, a part of the next uh generation of of uh, problem solvers um you can reach me at 515-981-8785 981-8785.
0: All right. Hey, Nick, thanks for joining us. appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy man. Folks, when we we come back, folks, we're going to be talking about the responses I have been getting to these conversations. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
2: It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. At East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine in, patio seating, curbside pickup, and carry out. Hawk also serves fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at Hawktable.com. That's H O Q table.com.
0: Back to the Fallon Forum, Ed Fallon with you folks. Thanks to our local nonprofit partners who helped make this program possible, including Bold Iowa, founded in 2015 to build urban rural coalitions to address climate change, to prevent the abuse of eminent domain, to protect Iowa's soil, air, and water. Bold Iowa is committed to using peaceful, nonviolent means to push for change. Learn more at boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Local food security is becoming more and more important to both urban and rural residents. You can find out more information at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. That's birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. So I've been getting a lot of feedback on the 52 conversations with Iowa Trump voters. And most of it has been very positive. I'm not used to getting so much positive feedback. I'm used to about maybe 60% of the people liking what I'm doing and 40% thinking I'm crazy. Um, this has been more like 75-25, which is good. But there's been some strong opinions on the other side. And it's also been, some of the criticism has been just negative in my opinion. It doesn't do any good, for example, to call one of my guests an idiot. Uh, that's part of what I'm why I'm doing this is because, no, nobody I've interviewed so far is an idiot. Nobody is stupid. Uh, they may have other issues. We all may have other issues, but idiocy and stupidity is not uh, one, that, one of them in terms of my guests. But, you know, I am getting some criticism that is good, interesting, spot on, and I want to respond to some of that. Uh, one person wrote, quote, We are currently engaged in a cognitive civil war during the most important decade in the history of mankind, and here you are giving airtime to someone who has a head full of nonsense, what could possibly be your goal here? To muddy the waters during a time when the country and the world need definitive answers and solutions? If that's your goal, I would kindly ask you to bow out, please, and let those of us who are solution-oriented try and achieve the change the world needs. End quote. Okay, so basically I'm... I'm asked. I'm, I'm being asked to voluntarily cancel myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, no. That my my goal is not to muddy the waters. In fact, my goal is to get people to understand uh, that. Again, first of all, Trump voters are not all misogynist, racist, and stupid. And second of all, we 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 need to know why they voted for Trump. Why and different people have voted for Trump for very different reasons. And we also need to understand that common ground, especially when it comes to climate change. So. I'm sorry if that's not coming through, but that's my goal, uh, and I'm not going to cancel myself. Sorry. And I don't think you should cancel yourself either, whoever wrote that. (laughs) We need everybody involved in making America boring again, as my previous guest said. I like that. We should coin that hat Make America boring again. All right, so um, here's another one Uh, I'm concerned that you may politely amplify viewpoints that call for respectful pushback for listeners to gain understanding. To say it is too late to stop climate change, for example, misses the point. Clearly, we can't do enough to stop the problem, and billions will suffer as a result. But just as clearly, with Trump out, we can do more to mitigate the harm, and millions will suffer less. This can be demonstrated to anyone willing to look at a graph of atmospheric greenhouse gas levels and other hard data. The other starting point is to acknowledge that government has a role to play rather than to buy into the shameful canard of Trump and others in the GOP. The government is the enemy. That's a little long and very articulate. And um, I, I, I think what I hear, and this is the criticism I get the most often. How are you going to push back against some of the misinformation that's being shared? Well, again, I, okay, so if somebody is, uh, you know, when 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 a talk show host on TV or radio interviews somebody, I mean, public radio, whatever program you want to think about. The interviewer isn't always... I mean, there's some push and dialogue. There's some give and take. But the interviewer isn't always saying, aha, you're wrong. Aha, you're wrong. That that doesn't become an interview. <laughs> My goal is to, is to provide that opportunity to air concerns. And to some extent, I will push back. And maybe I could be doing a better job at that. Okay, I'll give that. But again, I... I you know, I, I, can't, I can't get into, you know, challenging everybody on every concern they raise. You know, and, and again, some of these points about, I, th- I think this particular email was in response to my interview with Janet Clark, who says she's very, very concerned about climate change, but then voted for Trump. Um, and again, I think the points made here are very good, but how far do I go as the interviewer in pushing back against the interviewee? That's a, that's a fair question. It's a juggling act, but I do know that I think a, a lot of my guests would want to go so far not, so not, not guests, sorry a lot of my uh, responders the, the folks who are writing to me would go so far as to push away anybody who might ever want to dialogue with, with me about this. Alright, here's another one uh, this is from a pastor I'm ready, I'm ready to read some articles about how the majority of Americans decided to fire the guy and rebuild America, meaning fire Trump unless you can tell us how you change these people's minds and offer us a blueprint on how to reverse all the garbage they have accepted it's a waste of electrons to send this crap out personally i think they are a lost cause and the only hope is to reach a new generation and look to the future i'm a pastor and generally generally believe people can change but i'm also getting old and cynical and i know too many of these people and i know unless something happens to them personally to change their mind some kind of life-altering disaster, they aren't going to change. End of quote. There's a lot there. Um, Maybe the most important part of that is, quote, I'm also getting old and cynical. Uh, (laughs) You know, again, pastors, generally, I would think, Christian pastors at any rate, um, believe that people can change. That's part of the job, right? Uh, (laughs) And so, you know, I'm not, um, first of all, I don't think, just because somebody gives me an opinion that, that I disagree with, that doesn't mean it's garbage. Um, I don't think it's a waste of electrons. I don't think it's crap. I think there's, you know, I, I disagree with much of what some of my guests are saying. I, we are finding common ground, but that's part of the goal. The part of the goal is to find that common ground. And, you know, if you think it's a waste of time, then I guess, then, then yeah, don't bother to follow these conversations. But I don't see how we're going to get to a better place in this country without having these conversations, as difficult as they might be. And maybe, you know, maybe one, maybe the only way they're going to be productive is if we come at them with an open mind. I don't want to come into the conversation like this pastor probably would have, thinking that people, people's opinions are garbage and crap and that um, I'm wasting my time. I don't think we're going to get anywhere. Again, you may disagree, and that's fine. Maybe you think that we should just ignore rural America, that we should ignore the blue-collar workers that have all gone off to vote for Trump and other Republicans, ignore them all, and just try to build a base among suburban voters, among uh, disenfranchised minority voters, among uh, uh, white liberals who have college degrees. Yeah, I don't know what your audience looks like there, uh, but I think if you continue to write off a base uh, you know, a base that has is, is pretty much gone over to the Republican side, that used to have a lot you know, a pretty bipartisan split. That's a big mistake. Just my opinion. Okay, what else we got here? Uh, here's another note. Uh, quote, regarding some of my guest's contention that Trump was an anti... Oh, yeah, this is... No, this is me saying... This is about my about uh, my guest's contention that Trump was an anti-war president. Quote, Trump exploded the Pentagon budget, which is hardly anti-war, uh, let alone... The war crime assassinating the top general in Iran. Imagine if Iran decided to do this to the head of the Joint Chief of Staff, perhaps while he was vacationing with his family in Georgia, you know, let alone Trump's policy destroying the Palestinians and violating international law over and over again, supporting Israeli war crimes against the Palestinians, let alone perhaps his biggest crime, not only diplomatically supporting the horrible war crimes in Saudi Arabia, Committed in bombing Yemen, but selling the Saudis and UAE tens of billions of weapons. The largest humanitarian crisis in the world is in Yemen. And again, I can't argue with these points. I mean, I, I for one, do not think Trump is an anti-war president. I think, even if he didn't get us into a new war, a lot of what he's done has exacerbated global conflict, and often has come down on the side of those being oppressed, whether they maybe Palestinians the people of Yemen. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I don't disagree. Again, I come back to the point that I can only push back so much. And uh, again, I will concede. Maybe I can push back a little bit more. But I think it's really important to respect the people who are taking the time to come into these conversations. You know, that's... Um, I, I Honestly, I, I've yet... Of all, the, of all the people I've called to say, hey, Trump voter, would you be willing to talk with me? No one has yet said no everyone has said yes if I you know if, if I have an interview that went along the lines of what some people want me to do you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong how many people are going to want to have that conversation well somewhere close to zero <laughs> so again I I think this project has a lot of merit I feel very good about it I I feel like I've learned a lot and I feel like my you know my mind needs to be able to change as well I can't just come in thinking I have all the answers uh, Sometimes, some of my guests are going to say stuff that makes me think, aha, they've got a good point. I should be thinking about that. All right, hey, back in a minute, folks, Miriam Kosh is going to join us. We're going to switch gears and talk about the hog confinement problem in Iowa, which affects other parts of the country as well. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gettler, and Tina Haas-Finley. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices from America's heartland. This is Ed Fallon, your host. We're coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks to our local business partners, including Noche Jazz and Cabaret in downtown Des Moines, Noche features both national acts and local performers, including Max Wellman, Gina Gettler, and Tina Haas-Finley. Noche also offers a cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. That's uh, Noche Jazz and Cabaret. All right, welcome back to the program. And joining me now is uh, Miriam Kasha. She's a retired psychotherapist. And after a stint with the the, uh, Peace Corps in Namibia... A few years back, Miriam walked every step of the way of the Great March for Climate Action, 3,000 miles, at age 71. She continues her climate and environmental activism with 100 Grannies for a Livable Future, and she joins us now to talk about efforts to address the many problems associated with industrial hog operations. Miriam, welcome to the program.
3: Well, thank you, Ed, and thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here.
0: Great to have you. So, you know, Iowans have been fighting for years for better regulations of factory hog confinements, and there have been plenty of people in other states who are uh, dealing with the same issue, although I think it's worse here than anywhere. And before we dig into that, uh, into the solutions, what, what, what do you see as the problem? What are the problems involved with these large confinements?
3: Well, there's a laundry list of problems, and they're well-documented and I'm just gonna throw a few of them at you. I recently wrote an op-ed called Enough Isn't Enough. It's way too much, uh, which I haven't submitted yet, but watch for it in the register or elsewhere. And and so here's some of the things I outline in that article. Uh, Noxious odors reduce the quality of life for miles around. Reduction in property values up to 40% by people living nearby. Health impacts are causing serious problems for neighbors, especially children and the elderly. Um, and the American Public Health Association has called for a moratorium on new factory farms, citing health concerns among children, neighbors, and workers. I mean, this is a serious problem, and that's just the beginning. Have you had enough yet?
0: No, I haven't yet, because one, one thing that uh, that I'm well aware of, too, is the, uh, the impact on farmers themselves. Uh, I mean, there's, there used to be a lot of hog farmers in Iowa. I mean eighty to that. Oh, okay, we'll go for it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Seven hundred and fifty impaired waterways in Iowa that are unfit for recreational use and have been the source of numerous huge fish kills in our state. Mm-hmm. Toxic, crowded conditions for animals are a potential hotbed and get this for the emergence of another devastating pandemic. That is very possible. Ninety-four um, percent of independent hog farms have disappeared.
0: 94%. Ninety-four percent. That's yep. a, yeah. That's another way of getting to the same number. I was trying to throw out ninety-four percent. That's huge.
3: Yep. Yeah. And that creates a huge impact on the local communities. Right. There are infestations of flies and rodents in nearby residences and communities. Mm. And as a result of those hog farms disappearing, the rural communities are dying with boarded up businesses as the family farms disappear and people flee these unhealthy environments.
0: Yeah, I I, I saw that. I was in Allison, uh, the county seat of um, uh, Butler County. Oh, this is quite a few years back. And... uh, I remember talking to, I was going kind of knocking on the doors of the businesses downtown just to kind of introduce myself. I was running for governor or some such foolish thing back then. And, um, I, and I remember people telling me, a couple people told me, yeah, we used to have like three veterinarians in this town. We, either they, had, they either had one or none because the confinements would just fly in their veterinarian from somewhere else. And uh, the confinement operators would also, instead of hiring local people to do the work, would bring that in from somewhere else yeah you know, it's just it, it the, the ripple effect of losing 94% of your hog producers and having the, the the large operators owned not entirely but largely by out-of-state corporations is significant beyond just that particular you know area
3: yep you heard it here and a segue from that is that many confined of these confined animals are given doses of antibiotics due to their toxic conditions, creating antibiotic-resistant strains that are useless for the protection of humans. I read this morning, in fact, that there's a global antibiotic resistance crisis. Every 15 minutes, one Hmm. person in the United States dies from an infection that antibiotics can no longer treat because of these.
0: Right, huh.
3: We haven't even talked about the cruel, inhumane treatment of these animals. Yeah. Even though over 90% of Americans agree that animals raised for food deserve to live free from abuse and cruelty. Mm -hmm. They're subjected to that all the time.
0: Okay, so what are you going to do about it?
3: What are we going to do about it? Yeah. Well, I I haven't quite finished with my laundry list, but we can move on. Well, I am going to mention this one. Okay. Which is... um, Livestock production is responsible for nearly 15 percent of all human sources of greenhouse gases, and they're the top producer of greenhouse gases in Iowa.
0: And that's in, that's industrial agriculture specifically.
3: Uh, well, livestock production in general. general okay. But, yeah, but um, the greenhouse gases in Iowa are mostly industrial because that's what we've got.
0: So, you know, I, and I go way back on this. I was on the House Ag Committee back in 1995 when the original bill was passed that, that, that kind of created the unlevel playing field that allowed these big confinement operators to take over 94% of the production. And, um, and then again, there was enough pressure where the legislature felt they had to pretend to, to do something back in 2002. And pretending to do something basically created the matrix, which has done nothing to manage the problem. It's just been another way to deny local control. So, you know, where are we? What, what, um, what, where are we and what can we do about it at this point?
3: Well, first of all, I want to say enough is not enough. It's way too much. And in Iowa, it's way too much. We have a crisis in the state and uh, it's largely due to the proliferation of these, I call them animal factories.
0: Fair enough. They're not,
3: really fa- they're not really farms anymore. So, to your point, polls of Iowans. Uh, one in four counties support the moratorium on any new or expansion of existing CAFOs, fa- factory farms in our state. And Iowans are opposed to them. Yet here they come. Here they are and, and just exploding.
0: And again, the County Board of Supervisors and the local people have no say over the matter. They can recommend an action, but it's up to the state DNR to uh, make the decision. So um. Yeah. How do we, uh, again, I, you know, and I know that farmers are trapped as well. The, you know, a lot of them find the only way they can, they can be viable in agriculture is to become, you know, is to sign up, sign on contract to, uh, to raise some of these hogs for one of these big corporations.
3: You're absolutely right. And, and that's, that's something we need to be very clear about. We get accused, we who are working for a moratorium on these, get accused of being anti-farmer. We are not anti-farmer. Not any way, shape, or form. We are wanting farmers to have a healthy environment for themselves and for their crops and for their animals. There's just no comparing um, the difference in what it does for our state to have an industrialized complex of, of factory farmed animals mm-hmm. or, or the way they should be raised.
0: Now, one thing you're you know, doing is uh, you, you have a yard sign moratorium project, correct? Oh, yeah.
3: I was going to get to that. You know, I'm a member of 100 Grannies for the Livable Future. We've been fighting, um, fighting, I don't like to use that word. We've been working hard in an effort for the last three years uh, to support a moratorium on new or expanded uh, factory farms in our state. Um, our current project is a partnership with Food and Water Watch. We have 500 yard signs that say, and I quote, no more factory farms, save family farms, protect our environment. Mm, okay. And we have volunteers lined up to deliver these free y- yard signs uh, to target areas around the state during the current, cur- current legislative session uh, to highlight support for the moratorium and to enlist more public awareness. Mm. We're also writing op-eds and uh, opinion pieces and letters to the editor all over the state.
0: And doing radio interviews.
3: And I was going into that. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing education through literature jobs in dark- targeted areas and outreach events such as this.
0: <laughs> okay, good.
3: If, yeah. people, if people want to display a sign, we'd love to bring you one.
0: And how do they get in touch with you?
3: clean air water for Iowa at gmail.com clean air water one word the number four ia at gmail.com
0: clean air water the number four ia at gmail.com all right that's it all right
3: and, and we'll send you a signed request form for you to fill out there's no personal contact required in any of this
0: great Miriam. thank you so much for joining us
3: are we
0: done already? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know time flies when you're having when you're when you're having fun with me. I tell you, um, I'm going to
3: throw one more number at you. All
0: right, and that um, is,
3: and that is, we're already plagued by thirteen thousand of these in our state, increasing numbers every day, without any end mm. in sight. Wow. No recourse by neighbors, county boards, yeah. communities from them just moving on in. Yeah, and big ag and the Farm Bureau are promoting more than 45,000 of them in Iowa. We've got 13,000 already, and yeah. our state is already. A state. And
0: one thing you didn't mention is that more and more of the hog production here is for export. We're becoming, oh, yeah. we're becoming the colonial outpost for hog production. Anyway, yep. And, we're, and we're, we're absorbing the impacts and the negative uh, feedback. So, uh, Miriam, thank you so much for joining us.
3: You're welcome. Folks,
0: we've been talking with Miriam Kasia of 100 Grannies for a Livable Future about the Confined Animal Feeding Operations Challenge facing Iowa and some other states as well. We'll be back in a minute. Uh, We're going to be talking about the Dakota Access Pipeline. And unfortunately, uh, Iowa's Attorney General Tom Miller is the only Democratic Attorney General in the country to come down on the wrong side of that conversation. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carry-out and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
2: At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, Well, if you've got an elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Kim Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766.
0: new progressive voices from America's heartland this is Ed Vaughn your host and we're coming to you from snowy Des Moines Iowa also known as the cultural and culinary crossroads of America so there hey uh, thanks to our business partners uh, including architecture by synthesis where mark clipsham has been offering planning design and design build services for high performance low maintenance homes and buildings for a long time architecture by synthesis specializes in environmentally friendly designs, including highly insulated structures made from grain bins. That's architecture by synthesis. Okay, so the Dakota Access Pipeline is still, for the uh, sixth year in a row now, still a growing, a going concern. And um, recently, the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe had a lawsuit heard by the appellate court in Washington, D.C. The appellate court was in response to a, a district court ruling that said the uh, pipeline had been put in without adequate, per, uh, adequate um, investigation into the environmental impacts on the Standing, right, Standing Rock Sioux tribe. Uh, and the court ruled, the district court ruled, that the pipeline, uh, would, that the Army Corps of Engineers must do an environmental impact statement and ruled that while that was being done, the pipeline should be shut down. That was appealed, and the appeal was a mixed bag. The appeal agreed with the district court that the that the um, environmental impact statement must be done, but it ruled against shutting the pipeline down while that is happening, which is unfortunate. And so now people are calling on President Biden to step in, and you know, basically this pipeline is this oil is trespassing, and you know when somebody's trespassing, you stop them from trespassing, especially when you've got an environmental Impact statement coming because it's now kind of accepted by a lot of a lot of a lot of folks that the impacts weren't fully assessed. So there's an Iowa angle to this that I want to bring people's attention to, and I think whether you're in Iowa or elsewhere, you might find this interesting. 18 attorneys general, including 16 states, are represented. Uh, and Guam and, and, uh, and I think, Washington, D.C., I believe. Every one of those was a Democratic attorney general, and they all signed on to an amicus brief supporting the tribe, uh, opposing the pipeline to continue to be able to run oil and opposing the pipeline's company's request not to have to do an environmental impact statement. 18 attorneys general, again, all Democrats, signed on to that position. There was another amicus brief on the other side of the issue, filed by, and I've got different numbers here, but I believe it was around 11 Republican attorneys general and one Democratic attorney general, and that was Tom Miller. And that is a big disappointment to us here in Iowa because Tom Miller's been around a long time. He's um, actually the longest-serving attorney general in, get this, U.S. history. Yeah, Iowa has both the longest-serving attorney general in U.S. history, Democrat Tom Miller, and the longest-serving governor in U.S. history, Terry Branstad, Republican. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that says about Iowa, but it's interesting. But the, um, the, uh, the Miller, and again, this amicus brief was filed last year. Yeah, and and I, I, but it's one of those many really important documents that got no press coverage. I missed it as well. I just discovered it when I was looking at the ruling from the district court or the appellate court, rather, and, and saw, well, what's, what's this? Uh, Tom Miller. Oh, gosh, is he, is he, is he, is he coming in on, on the right side of this? When I first saw his name there, I assumed that he was going to be weighing in on behalf of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, on behalf of the, uh, the Iowa farmers and landowners who lost land to the pipeline, on behalf of our waterways. I mean, there's no doubt that not just Iowa's water and not just the the water affecting, uh, uh, that, that services the Standing Rock Sioux tribe, but all the people served by the Missouri River watershed through which that pipeline now runs, everybody in that area has an interest in what happens if that pipeline leaks, if it breaks. And again, given the track record of energy transfer, of Enbridge, of a lot of these other pipeline companies, given their track record and the incredible frequency of leaks and breaks, some of them mild, some of them incredibly devastating. Given that track record, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when and where. And as I like to point out, uh, this was part of my education about pipelines when I walked the pipeline route uh, years ago, 40 miles across Iowa. The, um, the, uh, The points at which the pipeline is most likely to break are the points at which it is weakest. Correct? Obvious? And where's the weakest? Well, think about your arm. And, and yeah, I'm moving my arm right now because you can all see me doing that, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, my arm, uh, and especially my left arm, is weakest at the elbow, where it bends. And you know where the pipeline bends the most? When it goes under a river. And so, yeah, the, that's where it's more likely to break. You've got more, you've got, more, um, you've, you've got, you've got a weaker element there. And now with the pipeline company wanting to double the flow of oil from 570,000 barrels a day to over 1 million a day, we've got more oil going through, we've got increased temperature, we've got increased pressure, you've got increased risk. So everybody should be concerned about the potential impact on our water supply. And And again, I was just shocked to see that Attorney General Tom Miller was on the other side. Again, the only Democratic Attorney General siding with 11 Republican Attorneys General, and the other concern here, of course, is climate change. Uh, you know, and right now the, the the analysis is that the pipeline, as it exists right now, uh, traveling 570,000 barrels of oil a day, is the equivalent of 30 coal-fired power plants in terms of carbon emissions, because again, that oil that oil is not just Flowing through, therefore, for for the fun of it, it's going to, well, a lot of it's going to terminals in uh, Texas and from there being exported. Uh, At any rate, at the end of the day, whether it's being burned here in the U.S. or in China, it's being burned. And when it's burned, carbon is being released into the atmosphere. And that is the equivalent, just from this one pipeline, that is the equivalent of 30 coal-fired power plants. And you double the flow of oil and you're looking at the equivalent of 60 coal-fired power plants. That is huge, and that is problematic, uh, and 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 Attorney General Miller just uh, somehow he missed that. Now I've had some people say, "Well, Ed, don't be too hard on him because he has to, he 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 has to have our governor's permission to sign on to any interstate lawsuit." And yes, this is true. He does, uh, and uh, that's a whole other conversation. But uh, basically, Miller. Um, got Reynolds to agree, got our governor to agree to not uh, sign some bad legislation affecting the attorney general's office in exchange for requiring him to go to her for approval for any enrollment in any, uh, any multi-state lawsuit. Okay, I get that. Bad call. Different conversation. But there is nothing in that agreement that says you have to sign on to, legisla- to, a, to a lawsuit just because the governor wants you to, you know, Governor Reynolds did not make Tom Miller sign on to that Amicus brief. He chose to do it. He chose to be the only Democrat among a whole sea of Republicans to sign in a sign on an Amicus brief supporting the pipeline company. You know, standing up against the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, against Native Americans, against water, against climate change, against against climate action. I, I'm just. I'm kind of appalled, can you tell, and, and a little bit shocked. Actually, I'm a little, I, I'm a little bit shocked and very appalled. <laughs> I don't get why he would do that. I don't get it. Um, I, I just, I, I, and I, I don't know if I'm, I will say this, the Attorney General's office has been very cooperative in terms of providing information. I really appreciate that. I wish all levels of government in Iowa would be as open and responsive as the office has been. I get that. I, again, very grateful to that. But that doesn't, that doesn't do away with the fact that the wrong decision was made and, and a very, very wrong decision. And I don't know. Right now, I think, OK, so I think people should let the, let the attorney general know that we're unhappy about that decision. Very unhappy about it. But your second letter, your second email, your second phone call after that should be to President Biden saying, dear President Biden, congratulations and Keep your promise to shut down the Dakota Access Pipeline. Again, Bold Iowa did a great job at chronicling a lot of these conversations with then-candidate Biden. And it's pretty clear, I mean, he says it. I was against the Dakota Access Pipeline from the beginning. Well, great. If you're against it, shut it down. And this is, this is, this is right the time to do it. Do it before they start implementing the changes needed to double the flow of oil. And don't even wait for the EIS, don't even wait for the Army Corps of Engineers to do its work, just do it. Save us all a lot of trouble, a lot of misery, protect our water, protect the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, and take a big hit out of the climate crisis. Again, 60 coal-fired power plants are the equivalent of what's being released from this pipeline. Hey, I'll be back in a minute, folks. Kathy Burns is gonna join us. We're gonna be talking about edible trees and shrubs as we move into that time of the year when people are thinking about pruning in preparation for spring planting. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design build services for high performance, no maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. They've been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yep, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecture by synthesis.
2: Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music, and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum again, Ed Fallon, the Fallon Forum as we broadcast from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks to our business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, locally owned grocery store in the Sherman Hill neighborhood of Des Moines. The uh, cafe is open seven days a week for lunch and supper, and breakfast is available on the weekends. They've got dining opportunities and, of course, takeoff. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. All right, welcoming Kathy Burns to the program. Kathy, how you doing?
2: I'm good. I'm. I'm starting to feel today a little tiny bit of cabin fever, even even though we get out a lot. Um, I'm. I'm starting to get spring fever, maybe. And what be,
0: What better to talk about when you're getting spring fever than planting?
2: Well, we're always talking about planting or planning to plant. And
0: addition, I think today the plan is to t- talk about planting trees, specifically edible ones.
2: Well, uh, trees and shrubs. If you are looking toward any uh, improve landscaping in your yards for the coming year or the next couple of years if you're planning that far out think more than just just a typical tree or shrub for you know go to your local shop and buy uh, whatever they're selling think about planting something that will give you food it's always about food
0: yeah, right and there's plenty of options i mean i i love we have a couple june on our property mm-hmm. gosh do we love Juneberries? had some this morning we have them every couple of days. We do um, either on pancakes or in crisps or on oatmeal. There's so many ways to eat a Juneberry.
2: That's right. Yeah. Well, I took a look at ISU's extension information about uh, what what you can plant successfully in Iowa besides the things that we already know that you can plant. And speaking specifically of fruit trees and shrubs that bear fruit, um, this is a good time to think about it because a lot of people will either Plant those in the spring or the fall, and if you're going to plant this year, you want to think about it quickly. If you're going to prepare for next year, then you have some time to prep.
0: And if you have them already, this is the time to prune, of course. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I
0: I really enjoy February pruning. It's one of my favorite things. Right.
2: (laughs) I I know. And we're about there. All right. We are. Well, trees, if you are... A person who has a smaller space for trees, of course, dwarf fruit trees are the choice. In fact, I would pick a dwarf fruit tree no matter what space I had because they're easier to pick and they're yeah. easier to prune.
0: And you can make a hedge of them as well if you want mm-hmm. to, like espalier them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We had a, we had neighbors up here who espaliered some apples uh, quite a few years back, and those turned out pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, they they had fruit and they had a fence.
2: Yep. And it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of a lovely and unique landscape feature, if you're Mm going to do that, Uh, a lot of uh, the fruit trees now can be self-pollinating. And so, again, if you have a small space and you only want one apple and one pear and one sherry, that those those fruit trees can can be Mm self-pollinating. So look at the varieties you're thinking about getting and think about self-pollination. Some trees bear better. Mm-hmm. even if they're self-pollinating, they bear a little better fruit if you plant another cultivar with them.
0: Yeah, and if you want if you want an apple pie seven years from now, you should be planting that uh, that apple tree today. Well, mm. not today, but this year.
2: They uh, can take five to seven years to yeah, bear. Yeah, I know. Um, the dwarfs do tend to bear earlier for the most part, also because they mm-hmm. are grafted onto the stock root. So mm-hmm. they're already ready to go. Yeah. Um, something to think about is the space that you grow it in, how far apart they need to be planted, and you've got to have well-drained soil. Most fruit trees can take a variety of soil types, but the drainage is key, and also six hours of full sun a day.
0: Yeah, and you know this is something that we um, we want to talk with our city officials and other community leaders about is planting more edible trees in public spaces. We have a we have a very a large green space. Just up the road from us, besides uh,
2: grazing <laughs> goats, and,
0: and... <laughs> most of it is just sitting there being mowed, which is a horrible waste. But even the pl- even the part where they planted trees last year, and they planted London plane trees, and pretty I mean, is there anything? Well, maybe, but uh, to me, this if you wanted a a boring name, London plane tree is the most boring name of a tree ever. Sounds plain, but uh, <laughs> it's certainly not an edible fruit tree. And also, I would say too that I think edible fruit trees are great. I would also think. A close second would be a tree that provides pollinator uh, mm-hmm. capability. I mean, linden trees are just amazing. Gorgeous. You know how much, um, yeah, they're really beautiful. They smell great. They aren't edible, but the bees sure love a linden tree.
2: Our honey was heavily linden blossom-oriented uh, <laughs> a couple yeah. of years ago, and it was a beautiful, light, floral yeah. flavor to that. Um, so shrubs also, um, if if you want to get... A um, snow fence, a natural snow fence started. Some shrubs that bear fruit as well can serve you a couple of purposes. So I was thinking about the different shrubs that people can consider, and a variety of these is good. We have a blackberry shrub. It's a thornless blackberry, and it bore nice. But yeah. boy, the birds figured it out. Yeah, and it, it warrants a net mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> before mm-hmm. the birds make off with everything. And I think the thornless varieties are, are particularly helpful when your shrub is, when your bush is somewhere near pedestrian traffic. Ours is right on the sidewalk, so <laughs> it, would have been, it would have been fairly unneighborly to plant a thorny variety of blackberry.
2: It also invites a tiny bit of picking from the sidewalk, but nothing too bad. Now, we've had raspberry, but we had a crumbly berry disease on our, or disorder on a raspberry. Or
0: CBD, as it's mm-hmm. always called, often called. Right. <laughs>
2: um, but raspberries, uh, they're they take longer to get going, but they're a lot less maintenance overall than, say, strawberries. Also delicious grapes are beautiful, and I I personally probably wouldn't plant the wine variety of grapes. I'm just they they have to be quite a, a, an old stock to get good wine. But for fruits and jellies and things like that, they're they're fantastic. And also,
0: you you discovered last year that you could make a basket from the. The uh, yeah. branches that need to be pr- I mean, grapes grow so prolifically, you've got to prune them. You even, I mean, you, obviously you prune them in February, but even during the growing season, they need another whack. And the uh, the whack provided enough raw material for Kathy to make a basket.
2: I tried. I'll, yeah. I'll try to learn better. It's not the uh, best basket would, in the world. It's not, but it, was, but I'll, it was a great start. It's my first one. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, grapes and and if you're giving it a whack, what we found we had to give a whack a lot to this year was the Japanese beetles on that <laughs> grape. Uh, vine. so Doesn't please everybody? know that they can attract yeah. that. But if you stay on top of them, you can get the upper hand. Mm-hmm. Blueberries actually grow in Iowa. Ours is still struggling. I don't think it's a variety that is intended for Iowa. So check with your, um, with your your grower yeah. that that you're getting it from if it's intended for Iowa. And of course, again, our favorite, the Juneberries, which can be either a shrub mm-hmm. or a tree.
0: It's also called serviceberry or shed. Shan- Berry? Mm-hmm. isn't there another name too maybe
2: Saskatoon Saskatoonberry. berry. and right. uh, I think in uh, Upper uh, Upper New York and Canada, it's more apt to be called that. Mm. But here um, they
0: ripen in June, so we think Juneberry works just fine.
2: The Juneberries have equal nutrition to the blueberry. They're easier to grow and. They make a, a kind of a heftier shrub if you're doing it as a shrub and it's a great snow fence. My sister grows them or grew them when they had some land for the birds. And we think that's for the birds. We'd rather <laughs> eat it ourselves. The birds yeah. have plenty of stuff out there to eat.
0: Well, sometimes they do.
2: But. Um, gooseberries uh, are interesting. My mom would, had a gooseberry growing as an ornamental plant in mm. her garden. They do have thorns. And I'm not a big gooseberry gal. I have never
0: understood why people pick gooseberries when they're not ripe, and then add tons of sugar to make them even barely palatable. I, why not let them get ripe? I don't get that. That's, that's, that, that is a mystery to me.
2: I think uh, if someone has has a comment in favor of the unripe gooseberries used for food, please let us know, because I, <laughs> I think I've tasted them ripe. They're a little sweeter, and they oh are yeah, a they're of the well,
0: they they still got kind of a musky taste, but mm-hmm. you know they're not. A woman down the road who grows them described mm-hmm. them as an adult flavor. I thought that right. was good.
2: Was that the gooseberry or that was gooseberry? Wasn't yeah. a different. But
0: um, but but unripe, they're just they're, they're just ridiculously tart. And the mm-hmm. only way to get them to work is with way too much sugar.
2: It is a lot of sugar. I, I don't get it. Currants also, hmm. um, a very pretty berry to grow, and I think that's an adult flavor too. <laughs> um, but but I you know we like we like to use currants in our Irish soda bread instead of grapes but I did find out from the ISU extension that um, they can host white pi- white blister or white pine blister rust excuse me so there's oh. a white pine tree um, very close to where our growing space is and we would not then want a current shrub uh, to kind of give that white pine any trouble.
0: Good to know yeah. Hey, uh, thanks for joining us today, folks. Hope you've uh, found some value in our conversation. Again, we're, we're doing a pioneering effort here. This has been going on for 11 years now. It's still a pioneering effort because our public airways have kind of been sold off to the highest corporate bidder, and you don't get balance there anymore at all. So we've got to work hard to kind of create that balance, and thank you for being a part of that. Uh, thanks to our guests today, Nick Revsland, Miriam Kasia, and Kathy Burns, and thanks also to our production team of Sherry Herdina and Kathy Burns, Thanks to these stations in Iowa, uh, Iowa City, and in Ames, and elsewhere in the country that rebroadcast this program. You can always find the podcast on the Fallon Forum webcast, and I encourage you to subscribe on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. This is Ed Fallon thanking you for joining the Fallon Forum.